Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. There's a new power dynamic in this country, and we're seeing it in sports where a, a group of women in the WNBA can literally put an owner on her ass and, and basically drum her out of a league and change and shift the narrative within uh, particularly professional basketball around social justice. Several of them women left left their careers to go fight for justice. Um, in, the, in the NBA, we've seen it with LeBron and, and what he's done with, with Rich Paul and, and bringing in uh, uh, a different level of ownership among the players. We are seeing it, Russell Westbrook is talking, with the media that covers these athletes in terms of where the lines are now and who gets to make this determination because they have their own platform and they can say what they want to say. No longer does the media hold ultimate power over somebody's career. And we're seeing it in politics where where companies are now uh, ringing in on this Georgia debacle. Today it was Coke, Coke and uh, Delta. Last week we, we have... The Braves, uh, I don't know whether they're right or wrong, but the the Major League Baseball is moving the All-Star game, not because it's the right thing to do. It is the right thing to do, but they're not doing it because it's right. They're doing it because it's good business. They see the numbers. They know who's paying their, their bottom line, where their market share is, and they're making sound, I would say, sound business decisions, much like the Montgomery Bus Company that after going bankrupt, after a year of black people not taking the bus, finally tapped out because it was financially imprudent to continue to oppress people. Stupid, stupid, bad business. It was bad business in the 1950s. It's bad business today. And let me welcome to the show someone who's written about this in full dissonance, notes from an uneven playing field, the one and only Mr. Howard Bryant. Welcome welcome back. Yeah, how are you? Can you hear me? I'm good. I'm good. I can hear you. I can. How are you? How are you? I'm recovering. Actually, let me not lie. I have a slight headache and a fake hangover because I don't drink, but I was up way past my bedtime jamming and dancing and hooping and hollering and cussing and, and pretend drinking and smoking last night and playing cards with my my own self because, you know, it's still a pandemic and I haven't been, I haven't been vaccinated. So, so yeah, I was watching Versus last night, so I'm still recovering. I didn't get to bed till like after one. I was still talking to people too afterwards. Uh, so how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I am O for verses. I've never seen it. What never been mean? part of it. What? It means I never. What? I know it's out there because I see hold it on, on Twitter. Everybody's talking about it when it happens, but I'm. I've never watched it. I was working on project. I'm. I'm. I'm, I'm doing stuff. You know, and I and somebody clowned me last night. Like, oh, so you ain't watching verses? And sent, and sent like an emoji, like a hmm, what's wrong with you emoji. And I was like, I'm working on chapters right now. You got your own verses. <laughs> exactly. Chapter and verse. Uh, I, I am judging you, but I'm going to keep my judgment to myself, Howard, because, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, we can disagree and judge people, you know, silently and still love them. So I still love you, <laughs> even though I think something, something is inherently wrong with anyone who could not tune in last night to that particular verses from a particular generation. Because that's, the, you know, Osley Brothers and the Earth, Wind & Fire, you, you cannot tell me. That's what my that's that's what my iPad is for. I got a million songs in there. You think I you think I didn't listen to Harvest for the World last night while I was writing? All right. I just didn't watch it. Okay. All right. But I got right. the I know. All right, I'm gonna let it go. And by the way, just just so you know, I had to argue with my little sister who's seven years younger than me, who was convinced 
that ice cubes today was a good day wasn't a sample. I said, that's the Isley. That's footsteps in the dark. She wanted to argue with me, like fight like years ago. Now she had to sh- shut her shut her white mouth. <laughs> All right, eight six six eight seven one eight two five five. That that quote uh, from my, my pastor. Sister. Yeah, I know. Uh, there's irony in what I'm saying. All right, so Howard, um, <laughs> when you when you hear a Russell Westbrook and when you see a uh, Hersey Miller, Percy Miller's son, heading to Tennessee State, do you see as a journalist? Because I, you know, I haven't covered sports in about twenty years. It's been twenty years since I covered sports, but I, I remember when you had the power of the pen. When you could go into the locker room, people were naked. You know, they didn't come out to a table. It wasn't nice. You could destroy yeah, still something. naked. They, yeah, but they don't come out to the mic naked anymore. <laughs> they don't <laughs> do still, that. We still go into the room. Oh, you still going. Okay, all right. Well, I haven't been there in a while, so I assumed everybody was sitting in that press conference room that I see on television. But there well, because of COVID, yeah. But when, right. the, when the rooms open back up, you walk in there. You know, I remember one time, 1998, 99, somewhere in there, we had a... I was covering the A's and there was an intern for, I think the Associated Press and nobody told her that the players were naked. She walked in there and one of the players dropped his towel and she screamed. Child. <laughs> what did she think was going to be in the, I had a jock strap fly past me at like 40 miles an hour. I had to duck. Cause I was like, if that thing hits me, I'm going to get into a fight with a major league baseball player and I'm going to lose. But I was very hot tempered in my twenties. Anyway. So um, how has it changed? For you, do you well, see the I change? Think that, yeah, I think that if you want to just dial back, let's go back a year. Um, you know, let's go back to the last dance, right? Mm. And you watch that and you look at what LeBron has been doing in terms of you know, clearly building a media uh, wing of his empire. You look at the Players Tribune that was formed by Derek Jeter after he retired. Listen to what Re- Russell Westbrook said last night. We're in a, very, a really fine line, in my opinion. Clearly, it's about time that the players have an opportunity to speak and to control and to have their message get to the public without the filter of media, especially Black players, right? I mean, African-American players have always been, the they've always been positioned through the mainstream white media. They've never really been able to position themselves. Social media has changed that, their money has changed that, their ability to bypass these traditional structures have changed that. And I think in a lot of ways, that's a real positive because I think everybody should have the opportunity to represent themselves, right? I mean, especially in this dynamic where you're constantly being misrepresented. Where I am concerned about it, however, is the, is when you when the balance of power shifts so dramatically that you aren't getting it's not public journalism anymore that it's essentially you know it runs the risk of propaganda if mm-hmm. i am going to control the questions and the answers i can't trust what i'm hearing from you either so it's a real interesting sort of fine line there like if you're only like when i watch a documentary and you see that the you know that the subjects are they're the questioners they're the subject they're the executive producer they're the everything Right. So, you know, how much are you you wonder how much are you actually getting that you supposed to get against what they Mm -hmm. want you to see? It's a nonstop battle for that kind of control. As I'm listening to you, I recall having editors tell me what the story was before I ever went out to discover it myself. And there's always kind of been, uh, you know, since D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation, a, a shaping of 
who black people are, whether we're talking mm-hmm. about sports or entertainment. And we never had a voice or the power except for our black outlets, but those weren't considered main, mainstream. Now you have hundred millionaires, damn near billionaires saying, yeah, I'm not going to let you into my world. I don't have to. And I'm yep. going to shape my own narrative. And there's something refreshing about that. Now I know it may put some jobs in jeopardy, but when you work and and I don't know how, how much you've assessed this, but I have, when you work in a system that is controlled at the very top from top to bottom, where I, I don't know what your newsroom looked like when you were uh, coming up, but 4% of, <laughs> you know of, what my newsroom looked like. I know, I look like my up. newsroom, but yeah. <laughs> and ESPN, you know, whether we're talking about ESPN or the daily news or New York times, Washington post, the newsroom doesn't look like us and, and more even I think more insidious is even those of us who break through are still following a rubric designed to tell a certain narrative about us. So you well, either do that well or you don't get to work. Well, it goes back to the question. Do you want diversity of thought or do you want diversity of color? They want diversity of color, but not diversity of thought. They want you when you get into that room to think like that. They want you to to push the same narratives that represent them and that reflect them the way they want to be represented. It was one of the chapters in Full Dissidence, which was who gets to tell your story? Who gets to determine how you appear? What do they used to say? Well, history is written by the winners, right? So when they talk like that, they're essentially repeating a narrative and repeating a storyline that makes them feel comfortable. And so usually that means we lose. Usually that means you know that you're not going to be, you're not going to be portrayed anything close. One of the reasons why I got into this business was realizing that, you know, growing up in Boston and reading the busing story, you know, I was part of that desegregation story when I was a little kid. We all got bust, and um, I got bust out of the city instead of in those white neighborhoods that didn't want you to be there. And yet, every single time you'd read about busing. It was always from the white perspective. It was never, we were just stick figures. It was like, well, what about us? We, we have a part in this. Our families are putting our kids in harm's way too. There's a calculation here. It's not just that you white people are being inconvenienced. So that was one of the reasons why I got into the business in the first place. So yeah, there's no, no doubt about it. To me, one of the big concerns that I always have though is if power replaces power and the power that is replacing the old, uh, the, you know, the, the old guard, if it's simply repeating what the old guard did, is that progress, right? I mean, these are questions that I, that I do ask. And you know, I was watching, uh, you know, I was watching the Biggie doc on Netflix the other day, which was really good. I enjoyed it. Um, then again, you step back and watch it, you have more questions. And so it, you're right, Karen, it's a, it's a constant battle. Um, I still believe in the public in public journalism. I don't believe in privatizing A with privatizing B, which makes it good. I think that there's value in the, in, in the players because they're the ones who are actually late to the party, right? If you go look at the musicians and you look at the actors and everybody else, they mastered this a long time ago. They don't give you that, but because this, these are live events, the players are the ones who are, who are really of, of the celebrity millionaire class. They're the ones who are kind of late because after the game, you get to go talk to them directly. And they're also treated so paternalistically that they feel like they have to be treated like little babies. And so it's good to see them flex their muscles and say, no, 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 I have control over what I say and I don't have to go through you anymore. So there's, I think, a tale of two cities. Howard Bryant is with us. You can follow him at HB 
H. Bryant, 42. It's not his age. I think that's Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson, I think that's a sure is. to him. H. Bryant, 42. Uh, I grew up watching Rod Carew and Ricky Henderson and Reggie Jackson be unapologetic. <clears throat> oh, my gosh. Uh, and, and the demonization of this brother who just basically was like, I'll give a F. But it was freeing to watch, you know, and on the heels of that now we've entered an era of Which is black... really not true actually well, you know me, i mean reggie well Re- you know reggie is as difficult a character as you'll ever meet right i don't know if you ever talked to reggie but you know Never. reggie right i mean reggie's reggie so um so there's that but reggie had to create that covering cuz they kept trying to break him you know i mean reggie reggie what he did in new york is such an amazing, I mean, that'd bring tears to your eyes watching him in 77 when you go back and realize what he went through. And he had to win. He had to succeed. And to see somebody absolutely overcome the, the intensity in which people were trying to undermine him changes his whole story. Tell us right? why, though. Tell us why they needed to break him. It was Billy. I mean, one, it was Billy, but I think that it was Billy Martin. But I think the other thing is that Reggie Jackson, and as, you know, I'm sort of in the middle of this because I'm working, the book I'm working on right now is a biography of Ricky Henderson. And so this generation, that generation was, number one, you got free agency in 1976, right? So this is the first generation that's actually making real money, that they can actually go out and say, pay me what I'm worth. Everybody else, they didn't get to do that. Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Joe DiMaggio, they didn't get to do that. You took what they gave you. Kurt Flood started the fight. Andy Messersmith and McNally ended it. So now Reggie is one of the first beneficiaries of the open market. So now this, you know, overwhelmingly white media landscape, overwhelmingly white season ticket holder, overwhelmingly white ownership and coaching. Now they've got to deal with a black athlete who's not subservient. You got to do, and, and the fan base has to deal with a black athlete who is now your public face, who's not homegrown. And you know the difference between when you're homegrown, Derek Jeter, they treat you very differently than if you're not homegrown, A-Rod or Jason Giambi or some of the other free agent guy. And then they treat you like they own you. And so, and also the, the way that they, when you walk into that city, the very first thing that everybody wants to throw in your face is how much money you get. So therefore you're supposed to bat a thousand. I mean, you could pay me 10 million or you could pay me 100 billion. The batting average is still going to be between 200 and 300, right? I mean, that's what it's going to be no matter how much they pay you. You know, people talk about this all the time and, and they, they, they throw that money and the way that they would throw it at black athletes was so much more vicious. Now, you should be grateful. You should, I mean, remember, you know, one of the coaches uh, during the, uh, you know, the coach of Wyoming back in the late 60s when, the black players, you know, wanted representation and wanted to boycott. One of them, the coach said to them, you know, you can either do what I say or you can go back to colored relief. So they made it very, very clear that you should be grateful for everything you're getting here. And that generation, Reggie's generation of black player, that was that first generation. And then, of course, you saw the money Winfield was getting. And so when those guys started to make real money, that started to give them freedom. That started to make people look at them differently. And they you now had to deal with them on their terms and people didn't like that. This is the underpinning of this system that we're living in. And that I think sports is always kind of a microcosm of the larger society because they'll love you as long as you entertain them, as long as they can root for you. 
Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, when you walk off that field, you're still just another N-word, 866-801-8255. And how dare you make money and how dare you be uppity and how dare you have the agency to be able to say and do the things that you're doing because I pay your salary. You, you're you only there because I watch That's you. Right. And so mm-hmm. how dare you? You're going to do what I want you to do. We see it play out in basketball. You know, Donald Sterling, you know, don't hang out with those. Who makes you know, the game? Do I on. make the game or do they make the game? And I'll tell you for everything else. Everything else about that Donald Sterling case, whether, you know, with the V. Stiviano and the rest of it and Magic Johnson and don't be bringing them to my games and the whole thing. The most important thing about that was that tape where he said, who makes the game? I pay them. I feed them. What are you talking about? Right. But what he did was he said the quiet part out loud. He told you how much how they all think, because he had been thinking like that since he bought the Clippers. and. Nobody stopped him. He'd been in that club for the whole time. This wasn't a revelation. The, the revelation was the fact that somebody finally heard it and had him on tape. They died for the videotapes. 866-801-8255. Howard Bryant is here. The book is Full Dissidents. Um, and I was, I was segueing into today's um, athlete. It, and I often talk about my grandmother listening to Hank Aaron and that little uh, cream color transition to radio with the little earbud, that little one earbud that we would share and huddle around. She was a huge Atlanta Braves fan because uh, she's from Augusta, Georgia. And then I watch today's players, and I'm juxtaposing them to the to, to the ba- basketball players, and even to some extent football, because you have a few in football who are going to let you know that they're people, that they exist. I don't see that in baseball. Even with Ken Griffey Jr., you know, there's a muted kind of eunuch-like way in which Major League Baseball black people, even those who speak Spanish, because you're still black, Big Poppy, uh, <laughs> move in the world. Is that is that by design? Well, How? I will say one thing for David, for Poppy. He is one of the few black Latino players who still identifies as black. He hangs with brothers. A lot of the other Latino players, there's that Pan-African battle that we always fight, right? Like you go talk to the Dominican player and call him black. He'd be like, you ain't black. I'm, I'm Dominican, right? So they is that. That's why I'm Louis Tian, El Duque, Poppy. You know, they will tell you point blank. Clemente, I'm black. I always appreciated that about them. The difference is, is that the other sports, basketball in particular, post-ABA, realized that they had to adapt to the people who played the game. Football's got that militaristic stuff where they want everyone to act like they're in the 54th Regiment, right? But, <clears throat> but basketball is a Black game. And back in the day, you know, the coaches and the culture of the NBA used to try to make it like, okay, if you want to play that ghetto ball, go play in the ABA. And now look at basketball. Basketball has adopted itself as the black game. They took all the stuff from the ABA. They took the three-point shot. They took the dunk contest. They took all that stuff. And they realized that this was, that you had to adapt. This culture of the sport had to adapt to the people who play it. Baseball doesn't do that. Baseball makes you adapt to baseball's culture. Remember all the grief they gave Ken Griffey Jr. just by having his hat on backwards during batting practice. Who does he think he is? He's disrespecting the game, all of that stuff. And the roots of baseball, um, Major League Baseball, has always been white, always been Southern, always been that sort of redneck game, especially because that's where all the minor league teams were based. And so 
And that's where spring training was based. And so baseball has always done a terrible job of adapting to the people who play it because it's an international game now. The Koreans play the game different than the Japanese who play the game different than the Puerto Ricans who play different than the Dominicans who play different than black people. But yet they want everyone to play the game like it's 1930 when there were no black players at all. So this is one of the reasons why baseball is always having such a difficult time attracting people because it refuses not just to adapt to the people who play it in that international flavor, but it also refuses to adapt to the fact that this is a modern image-based age. So people play for the cameras. And if you play for the camera in baseball, somebody's gonna hit you in the back with a fastball, right? Mm. It's just a different game. So what happened in Atlanta? Because I, I was watching your tweets um, and you said it wasn't the players that moved the All-Star game out of Atlanta because, you know, in response to the Kemp-led um, debacle around voter suppression. So why yeah. weren't the players more vocal, in your opinion? Well, I think number one, and, I'm, and I don't want to speak too much out of school because, you know, but it is what it is, right? I mean, baseball is a heavy, heavily conservative Republican game. So I think no matter what, and I think that the leadership of the union, I mean, obviously Tony Clark and those guys are very progressive guys. And I think they have an idea of what they think the world should look like. And I think they have been very frustrated. I know this for a fact, they've been very frustrated over the past several years, you know, post Ferguson about where are we on this subject? Where are we in the world right now? I know that when the, when the Astros won the World Series in 2017, the Puerto Rican players were very upset with the way Donald Trump was treating the island after Hurricane Maria. And yet, and, and yet the players just didn't have the support to do what the NBA did. They didn't have the support to do what some of the NFL players did. So they've had to really be quiet on this. Uh, they don't have the numbers to do what a LeBron James and those guys could do. They just don't have the numbers. They don't, you know, baseball's numbers are different. 7.7% black players, hmm. right? The Latino players in baseball historically have never gotten particularly involved in a lot of American politics because they don't think it's their country anyway. They're here. I, I always say that baseball is a white suburban game reinforced by foreign labor. And that's, mm. the, that's the dynamic of the sport, right? Go back to 2008 when Arizona had that horrible immigration law. And so you had 15 teams in spring training over there. And a lot of people in baseball are like, well, what are the Latino players going to do? Are they going to get involved? Are they, I mean, because this immigration law is essentially directed at them. And nobody said a word because the players just didn't feel like they had the standing to do it. So in Atlanta, I think what you found there was that this was a corporate thing. This was that I think that baseball realized that even before the players had a chance to get involved, they knew this wasn't going to fly. You got Hank Aaron passing away. This is Jackie Robinson's month. Hank Aaron breaks the all-time record on April 8th, which is Thursday. Are you really going to celebrate the life and legacy of Henry Aaron with the backdrop of this? I think they knew they had to get out. And the corporate sponsors were telling them as well that they couldn't guarantee the support that they might pull out. And so I think baseball had to make the executive call. And they had to make that executive call because one, after everything that you pledged last year after George Floyd got killed, you're gonna do this. You're gonna play your all-star game here. And on top of that, they don't, you know, they're running, it's like kryptonite. They don't want anything to do with January 6th. 
They don't want anything to do with the reaction from the election. Do you really want to ride with that? It's, this just wasn't worth the headache if you're baseball. It's bad and on top, I was going to say, Karen, and the other thing was that they just did this thing with the Negro League statistics and incorporating, you know, you know, so they're, they, they would have been undermining everything that they possibly had done, right? They would have undermined everything if they had gone on with this. So is it window dressing? And again, I often say you can't legislate behavior. You're not going to change hearts and minds, but you can make it really, really uh, uncomfortable and unprofitable for people to behave in the way that they're behaving. And we're seeing that play out now. The corporations, people uh, today, a lot of conservatives are going to be boycotting Coke. But Coke has done a dollar cost analysis, y'all. They know who drinks their their beverages and who eats their food and all of the things that they put out as a brand. They understand disproportionately who who their money makers are and they made a decision i believe not again because it's right they made a decision because they know their bottom line will not be impacted by those folk boycotting but those people boycotting us for staying here that's a problem yeah so we're gonna have to move out yeah i think that this was yeah i think this is one of those examples where where doing the right thing happened to be a benefit it was the right thing to do, but it just happened to fall in, in, in place because let's face it, it's where business and doing the right thing absolutely aligned because let's go back to Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. Sports made the same decision, right? Yep. They made the exact same decision that baseball's making now. The difference was is that, ba- that football essentially sacrificed its values to ban Kaepernick, but it was the same calculation. This is unpopular for us. This isn't going to work for us. We're going to sacrifice our values because they knew what Colin Kaepernick was doing was not un-American, but they also knew that post 9-11, that they didn't want to fight that tide either, right? And they knew who their audience was. And who their audience was, exactly right. Now, and pre-George Floyd being killed, murdered, baseball doesn't move this either. Mm. The world's a little bit different right now. They know it, they don't want to deal with that, right? Because once again, Let's, you know, let's just call it for what it is. The, the, the world looks at sports differently now than it did two years ago. All right? And there's no way around that. And they also know, to your point early to start this show, they know that the players now are willing to walk out. We saw it last year after Jacob Blake got shot. Teams walked out unmasked. Players didn't play across sport. We've never seen that before. We never saw, okay, Naomi Osaka is not going to play, but neither are the Milwaukee Bucks, and now neither are the Orlando Magic, and now neither, you know, the Milwaukee Brewers, and now neither are the Seattle. I mean, you've never seen that sort of cross-sport coordination. Who wants to? They're not going to risk that. And they're not going to risk that for Brian Kemp. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.